0: pleasure to be here this evening. Uh, it's been a good weekend uh, for us and, and the Merkel family. I hope uh, y'all can say the same of having us uh, here with you. Uh, it's been a pleasure to be able to speak with you uh, this morning, and it's a pleasure to be able to be here again this evening. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Acts 9. Uh, we're going to be there uh, in a minute. Uh, there's a phrase that I've heard uh, used a lot that, that actions speak louder than words. I think that's a phrase that we're all pretty familiar with. Uh, we sometimes use that phrase uh, to show our, our own lack of trust in somebody, kind of like a boy who cried wolf situation, where they say they're going to do something or they say there's something over there. They say it all the time, but then when the action comes to actually do it, well, there's, there's nothing there. Kind of like a I'll believe it when I see it type situation. Uh, or we say it to reveal someone's true character. Like perhaps uh, you can have a father who says that they love their family, and yet they hardly spend any time with them, and really they do everything they can to uh, avoid them, right? Their actions would speak very much uh, differently than than their words. Though James, the book of James, doesn't use the exact same phrase. It does describe something pretty similar uh, to this idea of actions speaking louder than words, and James 2 uh, he describes a person who has faith, but doesn't show it through any of their works. He doesn't have any, any works. Verses 15 and 16 says it's like the person who, who notices that there's somebody who is in need of food. And they, they notice that they have enough sympathy to at least say, well, man, I, I wish you had some food. But then they just kind of walk away from it. They don't actually do anything about it. That describes a person who has faith, but doesn't have Any works. Actions certainly speaking louder than words. Uh, Another way we can think about this phrase, though, is to compare those two things. That you have two things, you have actions and you have words, and to compare the effectiveness of each. So in that comparison, people would argue that actions are more effective than than words. Now I we should not take lightly the effectiveness. Uh, of a kind word. Proverbs 25 and verse 11 says, Like apples of gold and settings of silver is words spoken in right circumstances. Uh, perhaps you have been the beneficiary of a kind word. Maybe you wouldn't have described it as apples of gold, but you would describe it as something very good, something that's uplifting to you. Words are, are very powerful. But this morning I would like to suggest, uh, by looking at two stories in the life of Barnabas, I would like to suggest that more often than not, actions are more effective than words. And I would like to suggest that had Barnabas substituted his actions for only words, much of the New Testament would look, would look pretty different. But before we get into those t- uh, two stories, I think it's important to kind of lay out who Barnabas is because he's not the type of character like a Peter or a Paul or even people out in the world who have no idea what the Bible is have probably heard of those two people or certainly Jesus. No, Barnabas isn't mentioned quite as many times as, as they are. So I think it'd be good for us to give a, a, good, a pretty good idea as to who Barnabas is. Well, he's first mentioned uh, in Acts chapter 4. He's called a Levite from Cyprus. So I've circled Cyprus there for you, the island of Cyprus. He's called a Levite. Now a Levite would have, been, uh, would have understood the law better than, than most, so we can assume Barnabas had a pretty good uh, understanding of the law. Uh, but it's interesting that Levites to this point in the New Testament have kind of gained a reputation of, of rejecting Jesus, and yet that doesn't seem to describe Barnabas. But as you read more in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas isn't even his actual name It's a nickname that's given to him. It actually means son of encouragement And as we read through some of these stories this morning or this evening You'll see that this is a pretty apt description of of Barnabas. His real name is is, is Joseph Um, We also see that he had a a certain amount of of wealth uh, in that he owned land But what's interesting is that he didn't really see that wealth as as any real value to him. Actually, the only value that he saw to that wealth was the value in helping others. He sells that land and he lays the money at the apostles' feet. It's interesting that in Acts chapter 4, all of this is mentioned about Barnabas in the context of describing how the church was of one heart and soul. And Barnabas is the only person who's mentioned by name in that Almost as if to say that Barnabas is this prime example of how the church is of one heart and soul. We learned a lot about Barnabas just in those few verses there at the end of Acts chapter 4. But we don't see him again until Acts 9, and we'll spend a, a good bit of time here in a minute. Uh, but what we'll see in Acts chapter nine is that he did have a a good amount of influence uh, in Jerusalem. We see him again in Acts chapter eleven. Paul is sent, or excuse me, Barnabas is sent to uh, Antioch because in Antioch there were these Jewish Christians who started spreading the word to Gentiles, and there's a lot of excitement there. And so the people in Jerusalem decide to send Barnabas uh, to encourage those people, and you, you you see there this commitment to preaching the word here in Acts chapter 11. And within this chapter, uh, Barnabas is described as a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. We'll have more to say about that later. Uh, We see that Barnabas is the kind of person where if there is a need, he is willing to go out and find someone to help them with that need. Uh, In Acts 11, there is this need and he goes out and gets Saul, or we better know him as, as Paul, and he gets him involved into the work. And he's clearly a pretty trustworthy person, because by the end of Acts chapter 11, uh, the the members there in Antioch are inspired to give a large contribution to those who are in uh, Judea. And they trust that large contribution with Barnabas uh, and and Saul. Then later, in Acts chapter 13, still in Antioch, we see Barnabas in a list of prophets and teachers. And what's interesting, and we don't don't put much value uh, in lists, I think, in our day and age today, unless we put like numbers next to them, we usually just uh, put in chronological order or maybe alphabetical order or something like that. Uh, But to my understanding, lists in like ancient times were, were the order of that list was very important. So the fact that Barnabas is mentioned first in this list may indicate that he's the oldest of the group. It may indicate that he's the leader. It may indicate that he's the most respected I would argue that he's all of the above in this particular group. And so that gives us a pretty good understanding about his regard in the city of of Antioch. But he leaves Antioch. And we see him uh, in what's called Paul's first missionary journey. But it's really Barnabas and, and, and Paul's first missionary journey because he is kind of the one who kind of takes the lead. And, and we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 all of these terrible things that Paul had to go through uh, in all of these journeys. But in Paul's first missionary journey, Barnabas is right there with them. Barnabas is the kind of person who is willing to speak boldly despite persecution. We see Barnabas again in Acts chapter 15, where there's actually two different occasions where Barnabas is willing to have this great dissension among brethren for the sake of of the kingdom. First, you see him having this great uh, dissension among the the sect of the Pharisees. Uh, And this particular sect was saying that Gentiles first had to become Jewish in order to be saved. And Paul and Barnabas, along with uh, many others, uh, refute that claim. But then the second time we see him is at the end of Acts chapter 15, where Barnabas is arguing with Paul, of all people. There's this great dissension between them, and we'll talk about that more in a minute. But what we see in Barnabas in both cases is that he is willing to have confrontation. Not that he's seeking it. I don't think you see that in Barnabas. But where confrontation needs to be had, Barnabas is willing to have it for the sake of of the kingdom. And that's the last he's mentioned in Acts. But we do see him again in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Paul makes reference to him. He's he's talking about being paid for the work that he does as a preacher. And Barnabas is actually mentioned as somebody who chose not to receive payment for that work. And then we see him again in Galatians 2 um, where he is unfortunately uh, makes the decision to kind of associate himself with the hypocrisy of, of Peter. Peter kind of got wrapped into uh, having this fear of the party of the circumcision. That was this group of people who did not want to associate with Gentiles. Barnab- or Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, Peter and Barnabas were willing to eat with Gentiles when those Jews weren't around, but as soon as they came around, they would refuse to eat with Gentiles. And Paul calls them out here in Galatians chapter 2. All right. So there's many different applications we can make looking at Barnabas' life, looking at these great things that he is a part of, but I really just want to focus on two stories in Acts chapter 9 and the other in Acts chapter 15 in which I hope that we will see that actions truly do speak louder than words, that they are more effective than words, and I hope we will get a better idea of how we can encourage like Barnabas. So. Hopefully your Bible is already open to Acts chapter 9. Uh, we're going to read there. Now, I have verses on the board, uh, verses 26 through 28, but I do want to back up a little bit. Uh, about halfway through uh, verse 19. That will give us a, a pretty good idea as to who Saul is within the context of this. Let's go ahead and read Acts chapter 9, beginning about halfway through verse 19. It says, Now for several days he, being Saul, was with the disciples who were at Damascus. And immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name, and who had come, uh, who had come here for the purpose of bringing them before the chief, bound before the chief priest?" Verse 22, But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. And when many days had elapsed, the Jews plotted together to do away with him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they were also watching the gates day and night so that they might put him to death. But his disciples took him by night and let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a large basket. And when he came to Jerusalem... He was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how uh, he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken boldly out in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking, bold, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. So immediately following Saul's conversion, he begins preaching in Damascus. And verse 23 states uh, that many days had elapsed, which is a pretty vague time period. Many days had elapsed. Paul actually goes into more detail on that. uh, In Galatians chapter 1, verses 17 through 19, he gives a little bit more detail saying that Paul went to Arabia and then came back to Damascus and actually spent three years in Damascus. So, many days is actually three years, according to Galatians 1, as, as Paul describes it. But in those or after those three years, I should say, Paul, or, or Saul as he's known at this point in Acts, uh, decides to go to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter, as he, as he says in Galatians 1. And we're told that he stays in Jerusalem for 15 days. However, back in Acts 9, when he arrives in Jerusalem, He attempts to associate with the disciples. Now, the Greek here implies that he was doing this continuously. Repeatedly, he tried to associate with the disciples. But what is their reaction? What do they do? Well, it says that the disciples in Jerusalem feared him. They feared this former enemy of the church. These Christians were afraid of him, and it says that they refused to associate with him, which is pretty understandable, right? They doubt that he's even a disciple. Saul's anti-Christian reputation was so strong that even three years later, these people still know his name and fear him. Because don't forget, following the death of Stephen in Acts chapter 7, uh, Acts chapter 8 describes this great persecution. Uh, which began in Jerusalem. And it says that uh, many, many members of the church had to flee to all of these surrounding regions. And Luke, the writer of Acts, does uh, he, he makes it very clear the association that Saul had with that great persecution. So, many of these members would have known other people who had to flee because of what Saul had done. And now here he is professing Jesus as the Christ. He was a changed man, but the three years of preaching Jesus as the Christ in Damascus didn't seem to have spread in in Jerusalem, or if it had, uh, they certainly didn't believe it. Even in Saul's sure attempts to try and explain himself uh, to the people in Jerusalem, he's ignored. So what is Saul to do in that situation? Does he go back to Damascus uh, where he is accepted, except... Remember, he was driven out of Damascus. They wanted to kill him there. So what is Saul supposed to do? Well, insert Barnabas. This is where Barnabas comes in. We're told that he puts his arm around Saul. He puts his arm around a man that a loving, sacrificial Christian community was not willing to associate with. Barnabas is willing to do that. No doubt Barnabas faced the same fear that these other members did. I would imagine Barnabas was, was afraid of, of, of Saul to some degree, right? But Paul describes in Galatians 1, towards the end of that chapter, he says that the churches in Judea glorified God because of Paul's transformation. And it seems that Barnabas is willing to do the same. That Paul, Barnabas here, when he hears the story of Saul, he is willing to glorify God because of what has been done through Saul's life. And what's interesting, that in Acts 9, verse 28, as soon as Barnabas puts his arm around Saul, well, it says that Paul was able to move about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly in the name of the Lord. It would seem that Barnabas had a pretty strong influence in Jerusalem, where as soon as Barnabas puts his arm around Saul, that other people are kind of willing to do the same. So consider again what Barnabas did. Not only is Barnabas kind of putting his own life on the line, associating with a uh, with person who persecuted the church, Barnabas is kind of putting his reputation on the line as well. If the people were unwilling to associate with Saul, Barnabas has no guarantee that, that, that they're not going to do the same thing to him. Barnabas is willing to put himself out there. He is willing to put his arm around Saul. Barnabas is willing to risk his life and his reputation for the sake of the kingdom. Now, the next time we read about Barnabas is in Acts chapter 11, where he is chosen to go to Antioch. Now, I want to pause. In Acts chapter 10, it's, a pretty, it's an extremely important chapter, I should say, because in Acts chapter 10, you see the conversion of the first Gentile in Cornelius. But at the end of Acts chapter 11, now you see the conversion of Gentiles on a larger scale. At the end of Acts 11, the uh, church in Antioch, those who were scattered, verse 19, those who were scattered because of persecution of, of, of Stephen, um, there are those who are in Antioch, these unnamed Christians who begin preaching to, to Gentiles. And there's this great thing that's happening in Acts 11. And in verse 22, it states that the news had made it to Jerusalem and once it does, they decide to send Barnabas up there. Let's go ahead and read a portion of this. Acts 11, beginning in verse 23. I'm going to read 23 through 26. It says, Then when he arrived and witnessed the grace of God, he rejoiced and began to encourage them all with resolute heart to remain true to the Lord. For he was a good man and full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and considerable numbers were brought to the Lord. And he left for Tarsus to look for Saul, And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for an entire year they met with the church and taught considerable numbers. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch." Now we read a lot about the character of Barnabas in these these few verses, but I want to focus on what he does in verse 25. Verse 25, it says that he leaves to go get Saul, which really just kind of reads as some insignificant small detail in the story. But don't forget how this church came about in the first place. Verse 19 states that it came about those who were fleeing from Jerusalem. And why were they fleeing from Jerusalem? Again, we referenced it before, back in Acts chapter 8, this great persecution that was happening as a result of Saul and people like him who persecuted the church. The people who were living in Antioch had to leave their, their, their place in Jerusalem because of this guy Saul, that now Barnabas is going out of his way To bring into this work. The same thing that he did in Acts chapter 9, we see him doing here again in Acts 11. Barnabas is once again putting himself at risk, but what I love about Acts 11, what I love about what Barnabas does is that he's not just putting his arm around Saul and saying, look, hey, man, I believe you. I know no one else does, but I believe you. He puts his arm around him and he puts him to work. He gets Saul involved in the work that he is a part of in Antioch. Saul isn't just there to kind of introduce himself for a few days like in Jerusalem. This time, Barnabas is ready to get uh, Saul involved for what turns out to be a year. So Barnabas is asking the Christians in Antioch not just to associate with Saul, But inviting him to share, inviting the the congregation to share with Saul, to work with Saul, to be encouraged by Saul. He welcomes in this former enemy of the church to now work with them. Now, why does Barnabas do this? Well, verse 24 tells us that it's because he's a good man. Barnabas was was a good man, and I think we use that phrase uh, pretty flippantly. I don't think that's how Luke is using this. This is a very genuine, big compliment being given to Barnabas. He is a good man, and he puts his arm around Saul, this, this outsider to his former peers, this outsider to his new peers. He has no one around him to take care of him, and yet Barnabas is willing to do that. And he did it because it was the good thing to do. The man nicknamed Son of Encouragement took the time to listen to Saul back in Acts chapter 9 to comfort this new brother despite his former manner of life. But now he's not just putting his his arm around him, giving him a pat on the back, but Barnabas is putting him to work. And Barnabas is inviting Saul to join in this difficult but encouraging work. Which, by the way, for us, implies, if we're going to encourage like Barnabas, that we are already a part of encouraging but difficult works. If we're going to invite other people to be involved in our lives, involve them in the good spiritual work that you are doing. Now, at the end of of this chapter, Saul is so accepted by those in Antioch that they entrust him with this great contribution that he is to take uh, with Barnabas down to Jerusalem. And that kind of takes us to our uh, our other story. Because after delivering uh, the contribution to Jerusalem, they return to Antioch. But they return with a new worker, a man named John Mark who, by the way, uh, fun fact, Colossians 4 states that it's Barnabas' cousin, uh, assuming that's the same mark. But after a year spent in Antioch, Barnabas and Saul are called by the Spirit to go preach the word abroad. And after fasting and praying, they set sail for Cyprus, but they bring with them a helper named John Mark. Clearly, John Mark has proved his usefulness in Jerusalem, so much so that they decide to bring bring him up from Jerusalem to work with them in Antioch. And while we're not told how long John Mark was in Antioch, clearly he was pretty useful in Antioch as well. Because when the Holy Spirit calls them to go out to Cyprus, well, they bring John Mark with them. John Mark was a useful helper to their work. And it's interesting, again, back in Acts chapter 13 that we referenced before, there's this list of prophets and teachers mentioned in Antioch, and yet they're not chosen. John Mark is chosen because he is useful to them. He is their helper, as he's called. But then later in verse 13, in Acts 13, Luke mentions what seems to be an insignificant detail, which is that after Barnabas and Saul leave for the island of, of, or they leave the island of, of Cyprus for Pamphylia, it mentions that John Mark leaves them to return to Jerusalem. Now this brings us to our second story in the life of Barnabas that I want to focus on. Acts chapter 15. Go ahead and turn there. Because what seems to be an insignificant detail in Acts 13.13 is clearly quite a significant detail to Paul. Acts chapter 15. Let's begin in verse 36. It says, After some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had, gone, and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. So Paul wants to go back to these cities and encourage the people that they had met before. But Paul and Barnabas disagree on who they're going to bring. Barnabas wants to bring with them John Mark, this former helper of theirs. But of course, Paul refuses to work with them. And we're told that this sharp disagreement arises between them. Because, according to Paul, John Mark didn't just leave them, as it states in Acts 13.13. Paul says that John Mark deserted them and would not work with them. Again, we're told that this sharp disagreement happens, and it's so sharp that they decide to separate from one another. Paul goes with Silas to the churches in Asia Minor while Barnabas takes John Mark to to Cyprus. But once again, we see Barnabas doing exactly what he had done before. But this time we see Barnabas putting his arm around John Mark, this brother in need. Acts 9, he put his, his arm around Saul. He embraced Saul with whom other Christians would not associate. And Acts 15, he embraces John Mark with whom Paul would not associate, though for very different reasons. In both cases, Barnabas, I would argue, stands to lose something. We've already discussed uh, what, what he stood to lose in Acts 9, but in Acts 15, Barnabas stands to lose a partner. A partner that he had done so many great things with. With whom that he, had, he had spread the gospel, he had helped establish churches, he suffered persecution, he, he fled for their lives together. In the same way, That this was no small disagreement, as some versions put it here in Acts 15. This was no small separation. And yet, Barnabas is willing to do this. But why? Again, why does Barnabas choose to do this? And again, I would like to suggest because he is a good man. Barnabas put his arm around John Mark because he saw a brother in need. Now, this isn't to say that what Paul was doing was wrong. I don't believe that at all. We're not told why John Mark left. But Paul felt that it was worth rebuke. He felt that it was worth this removal of trust in his usefulness. So we could all take wild guesses as to what John Mark actually did. I was reading some guesses and some of them are pretty far-fetched. But whatever it is, I think both men are justified in the position that they take. Barnabas, though, sees this as an opportunity to encourage and to comfort John Mark. But like with Saul, what I want us to see is that Barnabas does not just put his arm around John Mark. Barnabas does not just tell him, look, hey, everything's going to be okay." What Barnabas does is he puts him to work. He brings him to Cyprus. He brings him back where he was when he proved his usefulness, when he was useful to them. them. He brings John Mark there again, and he puts him to work. So what does this mean for us? Uh, How can we encourage, like Barnabas, taking a look at these two stories? I think think the first thing that that we can do, the first thing that we must do, is that we must be good examples of of faith in our day-to-day lives. Now, we haven't talked about this quite as much as far as Barnabas is concerned, but again, we read all of those things, uh, all of the different places that he's mentioned in the book of Acts. You see great character in Barnabas. If we are going to try and be influential to other people, if we are going to try to encourage other people uh, and, and, and take time with them, we had better first be an example of being a good man, of having the Holy Spirit, and a faith. We must be willing to do that. Secondly, if we want to encourage like Barnabas, we must be willing to invest in other people. And that means getting to know them, and that means getting them involved. Because an investment takes a lot of time. Uh, A simple pat on the back or a word of encouragement is useful, but it's not exactly a sacrifice of of time. It's not exactly an investment. An investment implies a sacrifice. Now, an investment, as far as money is, is concerned, if you're investing money, you're hoping to get more back in return, right? Or at least the same as what you put in in the first place. But the investment that we see here in, with Barnabas is, is not that. The investment, when we're talking with people, this investment is a sacrifice of our time. It's a sacrifice of our energy. It's a sacrifice, maybe sometimes, of our own health. It's a sacrifice, maybe even of our money. And we don't hope, we don't hope to gain any of that back. That's not our goal, because this type of investment is not a selfish endeavor. And remember, this investment that Barnabas is doing is putting Saul and putting John Mark to work, bringing them and involving them in that work. I'd like to illustrate that uh, this way. Um, My son, Dylan, is three years old, uh, and we have tried uh, to teach him to, to crack eggs you can probably see where this is going, um, a three-year-old with an egg in his hand. It's actually interesting, we, we would have the bowl and he ever so gently taps the egg on the side. That was impressive to me, and I'm thinking this is gonna be a really great thing. Taps it, the crack is exactly where it needs to be. He grabs it on both sides, and then he just crushes it with both hands. And yolk is going everywhere, there's shells everywhere. But it's a, it's a good thing for parents to do stuff like that, right? To invest in their children to teach them these little things but here's the thing if you're going to invest in a three year old and teach them how to crack an egg you're going to be picking out some shells and that's just a part of it if we're going to invest in other people we had better be willing to pick out some shells because there were certainly some shells in Saul's life there were shells in John Mark's life that Barnabas was willing to invest in and willing to help and lastly, if we're going to encourage like Barnabas, we must be willing to seek those who are truly in need. We must be willing to seek those who aren't exactly in our circle of friends. we got to be willing to go outside of that to help those who are truly in need. Consider who Barnabas encouraged. Barnabas encouraged that outsider. He encouraged the new convert. Uh, are we encouraging... The one who comes with a lot of baggage, like Saul? Are we encouraging those new converts? Maybe people who are new to the area. Maybe people who, who don't have the means of encouragement that perhaps you have. Maybe they're not even seeking those means of encouragement. And yet, you are willing to go out there and do that. Does that, does that describe us? Barnabas also encouraged what I'll call, for lack of a better phrase, the struggling insider. The one who has been a part of of a, of a church, but is struggling and is really in need of help, are we seeking those who are struggling? Are we seeking those who aren't exactly seeking help? Are we seeking those maybe those Christians who are struggling with some great sin? And you know what? When you're trying to help people who are struggling with a sin, it can get pretty uncomfortable at times. Because you see all of those shelves and you know how much effort it's going to take to try and help out. But Barnabas is willing to do that. Are we willing to put ourselves in that uncomfortable situation? And maybe that uncomfortable situation even brings about certain risks in our own lives. Are we willing to do that like Barnabas? If we are going to encourage like Barnabas, we must seek the one in need, no matter who they are. And we must invest in them by bringing them into the spiritual work that we're already a part of. That's what we must do if we are going to encourage like Barnabas. I wanna end by looking at uh, this ripple effect uh, that Barnabas caused. You understand what I mean by that ripple effect? You throw a, you throw a, a rock in a pond and uh, you see those ripples go out and sometimes that pond is so large you, you can't even see the end of it. I think you see that in Barnabas' life. By investing in Saul, by welcoming him into Jerusalem, by bringing him to Antioch, rather than being afraid of him, people were able to be encouraged by him. Again, Galatians 1 in verse 22, Paul is speaking. He says, I was still unknown by the sight of the churches in Judea, which were in Christ, but only they kept hearing he who persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And he says in verse 24, And they were glorifying God because of me. How, are they, how did they know of that story? How did they know Saul? It's because Barnabas was willing to take that time with them. But not only that, what do we see Paul doing later on in his life? What's Paul's relationship to Timothy? Is it not the same thing that Barnabas had once done for for Saul? So we see him now passing that torch on to somebody else. Barnabas takes Saul under his wing. Saul takes uh, Timothy under his wing. And you see that continue and continue. Are you the beneficiary of that? Did someone convert your parents and now your parents are trying to teach you and raise you in the fear and admonition of the Lord? What a great ripple effect that is. We see Barnabas working in that. And by investing in John Mark after his failure, John Mark could be a helper once again. Peter calls him in 1 Peter uh, chapter 5, he calls him my son. And even Paul comes around. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, chapter 4, Paul calls John Mark useful. And in Philemon, he calls him a fellow worker. That because of the work of, of Barnabas, that John Mark was received once again even by, even by Paul. And it's widely accepted that John Mark is the author of the Gospel of Mark. And so what you have is this great ripple effect of what Barnabas was able to do in other people's lives. Guys, we cannot truly know the outcome of the good that we do. The God who is beyond time and space knows, but we can't truly know. But what we can do We can do the best we can in being good people, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and demonstrating that faith in the way that we encourage others like Barnabas. I'm sure there are many examples of people here who have benefited from this ripple effect in your own life. But really, the reality is that every person here is going to be both of these things. Both the Barnabas and the one receiving the encouragement. Because as we've seen uh, this evening, that each of us should be more like Barnabas. But at some point in our lives, we are going to feel like Saul. Or we're going to feel like John Mark. We are the ones who are truly in need of encouragement. And maybe that is you tonight. Maybe you feel more like Saul or Barnabas. Or excuse me, Saul or John Mark. And we, we love Barnabas because at the end of the day, he's really just doing what, what Jesus has done for every person who has put on Christ in baptism. Jesus has embraced us. Jesus has brought us into His family. And Jesus has put us to work. And you know what? That can be you this evening if you're not a Christian. Uh, you can be put to work because you are brought into this wonderful family. But if you feel more like... Uh, Saul or John Mark, someone who feels isolated from this family because of, of, of sin or because of circumstances, if you have any need, may, maybe you need to publicly announce that. But if you have sin in your life, you need to repent of that. You need to make your life right with God by confessing those sins. You can do it publicly. You can do it privately. But the point is, you need to repent. Because I promise you, in the, in the few times that I have been here, there are plenty of people here who are willing to put their arm around you and embrace you. But beyond that, far greater than that, God will put His arm around you and take you into that fold. If you have any need of of this encouragement, please come up now while we stand and sing.